Hey, everybody, welcome to an extra special episode of the Apologue podcast. Today, I'm trying something new. I'm trying something that would be considered an audio documentary. I came upon the chance to interview one of the members of a very important power pop punk band based out of Montreal called The Nils. And truthfully, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be a crotchety old man. I didn't know who, who I'd be dealing with. And I kind of have a little bit of a background of the understanding about where the Nils came from, how they became a band. So we had this conversation. And then I started investigating more about who the Nils were and who they influenced. How did the band come to be? And what's the history? Well, there's a lot of history behind this band. I think we all need to know a little bit more about it. I had some great conversations with Ian Blurton, John Kastner, and Scott McCullough, um, three people who were in the know when it came to the Nils. And they all had their own little story to tell. So rather than introducing you to a, a new band of sense, I figured I'd show you something a little bit about the band before we got to the interview with Carlos. They've had a lot of ups and downs. They've, they've regrettably made mistakes along the way. There was a huge loss to the band when Alex, Carlos' brother, ended his life tragically by his own hand. And let me tell you, as someone who's gone through that himself with a member of the family doing such a thing, it's a tough pill to swallow and it's a tough thing to go through. To be able to resurrect someone's music and paying it tribute i think that it's a very noble act and i think it's a very cool thing that carlos is doing it's a very good idea to keep someone's music alive especially when you hear who the nils were who they influenced and how they came to be so let me play a song by the nils daylight
Mills were formed in 1978 by Alex Surya. His brother Carlos would bring home albums for him to listen to, like Stiff Little Fingers albums, Sex Pistols, and it really made a big impact on Alex. Alex was quiet and Carlos was loud. Even by talking to Carlos today, you can tell that Carlos was the one with all the pizzazz and the charm. And Alex was just sort of the inward, introverted man who really was obviously awkward in the world. A lot of bands like the Goo Goo Dolls, Super Chunk, Jawbox, Me Puppets, Dambala, Bob Mold, all these bands held the Nils in a high regard as a major influence in their songwriting. Let me take you back to the early days of the Nils. Ian Blurton. Well, Alex and I always, you know, had a mutual respect for each other. And actually, John Campbell tells this story about him, Alex, making him go see Change Fart in like 87 at Fufoon. So it's like it goes back that far. John Kastner is the leader of a band called the Doughboys. He also sang in the Asexuals. He was one of the early people who really, really got to know the Nils. Oh, yeah, we go right back to the beginning. I mean, we keep in mind, you know, in like 83, Carlos filled in on bass on the first Asexuals tour of the States. Right, because TJ basically got cold feet two days before, and you know we were seventeen. He was like, I, "I can't fucking do it." He made up some excuse about his mom, something or other. So we got Carlos to fill in because you know the like we were part of a Montreal punk rock scene, like the Montreal hardcore scene in the early '80s. But everybody was a lot more punk than us in the Nils, so we kind of gravitated together. Scott McCullough is the lead guitar player of the band Rusty, and also is one of the first guitar players in the band The Doughboys. I played in a band with John Kastner. I wasn't around Montreal for their early days. I used to, but I used to book all their shows in Toronto during that those years when I was here. Like I used to book book them at uh, all Steve Goof's clubs, like the DMZ and Blondies, and then the liquor store on Spadina was the old DMZ. Ian Blurton. I heard scratches and needles, but the first thing that I ever got was the Yellow EP, the the four song. <laughs> Carlos was on the scene, like Alex was younger, right? And Carlos was on the Montreal scene right from the start. I think he played briefly in Vomit and the Zits. Like he was right there in that 78 to 79 wheelhouse in Montreal. And uh, when I met the singer from MIA at this gig, we were, the Doughboys were touring with Descendants and Henry Rollins and MIA. I met him at this like barnyard gig in, uh, in Georgia, in rural Georgia. And we started talking about Montreal. And he's like, oh, do you know Carlos? And I'm like, yeah, I know Carlos. And so somehow some dude from L.A. was aware of Carlos, but n- not really so much the Nils anyway. John Kastner. They grew up in St. Henry. I grew up on the West Island. But I was like 16, 15, 16. First one, well, late early 80s when we started going downtown for punk shows. You know, like 80, 81, that kind of thing. They were both, uh, I think they both came onto the Montreal scene as teenage bands. So they uh, they knew each other. And John always kind of, I think when he could, tried to give them a help up, a step up, you know, because he always liked the band and stuff like that. And much like Ivan did, it's like, hey, I'm going to help these guys. Now, there's one character involved here that I need to mention, and that's Ivan, the lead singer of the band Men Without Hats. He also added a lot into the band because of time constraints. I couldn't get an interview with him. But this might turn into something more. If people like this and they have a Neil's story, you can add to it. And we'll put it all together. This doesn't mean this has to be a 
locked down thing. So we'll carry on with the story here. It all kind of centered around the cargo scene where everybody that had a slight edge in punk in any kind of way all gravitated to the cargo in Montreal. So uh, that's kind of where we all hung out. That's where we got to know each other. Now, Alex was a quiet guy. As I said before, he was quiet. Some people might take that the wrong way. Ian Blurton. I just think that they had that shyness to, to them that maybe some people thought wasn't heavy or whatever. I don't know. They're a musician's band because they wrote great songs and they're a cool band. I mean, they weren't great players, but that's what made the Nils great. I mean, Alex was super fluent in the like. It had a sound, you know what I mean? Like the Nils, like even the way Terry, the early drummer, played, just like he played so behind the beat, you know what I mean? And Carlos just had a real way of playing bass, you know, in the same way that like Paul Simpson from The Clash kind of did. Carlos had his own kind of nil style, you know, which is a big part of the sound. They were the ultimate kind of like scrappy little kids trying to do their best. And, you know, I mean, Alex is one of the most shy people I've ever met in my entire life. So, I mean, I can only imagine how hard it was. They were pretty well everyone's favorite Montreal band because they just wrote the best songs. Like, I first heard them, I think, on that BYO compilation, like when I first moved to Toronto in 83, 84, that first version of Scratches and Needles that came out, and I just fucking loved that song from the first time I heard it. Obviously, that's why some people are musicians like that, you know. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about, like, the tortured artist. I'm just talking about the shy, introverted person that loves playing guitar, and just that's their expression, you know. Now, what really got the Nils going was a label down in the States called BYO stood for Better Youth Organization. They put them on this comp, and that's where really things took off. Like, Scratches and Needles was on that compilation, and everybody knew about that song. Well, they were the first the first Canadian punk band to really have anything going. I mean, that came out in, like, 80. It was on a big American comp. And, I mean, Alex, and, Alex was 13 when he recorded that. So, you know, I mean, and, was, you know, Goodwin on the Stearns for kind of seeing, you know, find this amazing band and French nowhere fuckville in Canada, you know what I mean? Like, he found them and put them on a comp, and, like, they were the first ones that had anything going on outside of Montreal, for sure. Everybody was kind of like, whoa, how'd that happen? And, uh, one time, Psych Industry did a big showcase thing, and my band, Big King Corpse, was trying to get on that label, a pre-Doughboys band, and uh, so I booked a big showcase thing with Nils, Asexuals, all Psych Industry bands at Lee's Palace. And some people remember that show. I mean, and the funny thing is, I wasn't really a promoter. I was just helping out friends. So I'd book them. I'd put up all the posters. And all I would take was, like, the poster money back. I just basically took no fee and just gave all the money to the band. Well, they come coming from Montreal, right? And there wasn't a hell of a lot of money involved. But uh, so that was kind of my early, early things with them. Uh, so I only kind of knew them from seeing them when they'd pop into Toronto and stuff like that. Only got to know them a little bit better once I moved back to Montreal. And then they, I think, at that point... Must have been around 87 that they signed with Profile and did their their kind of major label U.S. debut, all that stuff, which kind of ended ignomiously. I kind of knew them from that. And I, I used to go over to their house every kind of third day at a certain point in 87 or 88 because their drummer Jean used to sell weed. So that's why I went there. <laughs> now, the Nils were kind of responsible for not pulling things together. They had problems. They couldn't coordinate themselves. They couldn't. They just couldn't make things happen a lot of the times. John Kastner. Yeah, except for they never fucking could get it together to do anything about it. I mean, with the asexuals, we were the ones that jumped in the van and took off and went on tour. The Nils had this great opportunity with their song and a comp, but they could just never get it together to get out of town. 
You know, that didn't happen until 87 when they were eventually signed to Rock Hotel in New York. And, uh, you know, they kind of helped facilitate things as far as uh, getting the Nils out of Montreal and into the States, for sure. And I was there the day, I remember the sad and fateful day when I went there and uh, that whole thing with Rock Hotel and they were kind of going towards hip-hop, more hip-hop rec- uh, sounds. And so they kind of, their record got buried. And anyway, they at one point the, the contract got dissolved or they just got screwed over, <clears throat> but they had bought them all new gear. And I remember showing them the day that the label came back and took all the gear away. They showed up at their house and removed all the amps they bought them. I don't know about guitars, but all these nice big brand new Marshalls and everything. And they actually took them back and they were a crestfallen lot that day. It was like... They, had, they were given some great opportunities and more than anything, they kind of blew it, you know? There's some health issues and some bad fucking decisions that steered them in the wrong direction. You know? I mean, I, you know... There is some luck to it, but I mean, I don't think anybody would have anything to say other than they kind of did it to themselves. You know, they had some great opportunities, you know, but you know, as a lot of good bands do, I mean, you know, a little bit of business trouble. No one was a real business head in the band and then things kind of, they just never, you know, Ivan helped them out early on with the sell out young stuff and everything, but it was always sort of tough for them to get going commercially, you know, they just didn't have a leader that really could fucking go and make it happen. You know, they were a bunch of Montreal fucking hash-smoking dudes, you know? <laughs> together, collectively, they didn't have a leader guy that could, like, get up and do shit. And so, you know, and we started going and doing all this stuff, and then eventually I came back and started trying to help them. You know, on and off over long histories, parts of the Nils, where I, like, managed the Nils for here and there just because no one else could do shit for them, you know? And I was like, this band is amazing. But, you know, it always ended in some some van window getting broken or some bad decision on their part that I'd be like, I can't fucking do this anymore. But always remain friends with them right till today where I put out this record, you know? So. Yeah, they ch- well, they charted on the U.S. college charts with that, with that uh, whatever the name of that record was. No, it wasn't Sell It Young. It was, did chart, and it looked like things were kind of moving up from them, and then they had that classic label thing where the label changed directions or just forgot about them and uh i think that was kind of sort of the beginning of the end of them now you can blame technology you can blame sound people but the nil sound was always a bit funky you couldn't hear the vocals very well john kastner explains well it's because alex sang through his nose i mean anybody that went to a nil show you know that he would have his fucking big nose on the microphone and he sang right through his nose but, you know, like when you got a good sound man, you got somebody that knew what they were doing, like you could make that bench fucking kick more ass than anybody. You know, the one thing I will say about when I saw them on the Profile tour is Profile did something really smart is they hired a sound man who knew how to get his vocals above the band, which was like, that was like, I was like, why? Because live he was a very quiet singer and they played really loud. And that was the one very smart thing I, that I did see Profile do, so... You know, I don't know if that was profile. I'm going to assume it's profile because he was a New York guy. It was like that made a huge difference. And again, that's maybe that's why they didn't, you know, bust out as well, too. Because you need to hear that vocal, especially in Canada. I mean, you know, people push that shit under the rug all the time. And like, why doesn't he have a walk of a star on a Canadian walk of fame? You know, like. So the Nils had a lot of different people that played in that band. A lot. And when you were going to play with the Nils, sometimes you didn't know which version of the Nils you'd actually be playing with. 
You knew that Alex would be there, but you didn't know who'd be playing drums, guitar, or bass. Ian Blurton. I do know that when we, we played with them in Guelph on uh, that tour, they opened for Change Fart, which I thought was, you know, utterly bizarre. Um, and our fans threw stuff at them, which blew me away. I was just like so pissed off. I just figured that people were throwing stuff at the band, so I collected all these beer beer cans, and I was going to whip them back at people. But no, they didn't like the Nils, and I, I was really bummed out. Now, between the early 90s and the late 90s, Alex had his own solo band, and he also had Chino, which he managed to keep going, and the Nils were just on break. They're on hiatus. Now, cut to about 2004... And the Nils got back together. They were writing songs and everything seemed to be going great. And this is where the story takes a little bit of a sad turn. Is that sadly, Alex ended his life. He obviously didn't feel that his life was important enough to keep going. And it's a very sad thing to deal with. And personally, I am having a tough time explaining this because I too lost a brother to suicide. Like, honestly, I've heard so many different variations on the story and stuff that I don't even, I wasn't there. Obviously, the sadness that I felt was, I, I really felt because um, I just I just felt like there was a lot of parallels between the two of us. And when you see somebody do something like that, it's just like, holy fuck, you know? I think drug fatigue more than anything. I wouldn't go with mental illness. I mean, he pushed it. He pushed it for too many years, and I think it just, you know, it fucked with his head, and he spiraled it into a place that led him to make a really bad decision. You know, sad for everybody involved, you know? <clears throat> There's people who commit suicide because they're sick or whatever, but, yeah, I mean, different kind of sick. I mean, like, you know, like, my body's going to start killing me, and I'm going to do it before. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's hard to understand. I did a lot for that fucking band. I don't think there's any more could have should have for me. I mean, I think it's sad what happened, but I don't think anybody could have changed the outcome. It was just one of those things. There's many years where he didn't make music. I mean, I think that the Montreal lifestyle, the band, the music, the drugs, everything just kind of caught up with him. You know? If only he knew how, how much he was loved on that level. Like, that's, you know, the one thing that you're like, oh my God, like, didn't he know? Like, when Alex died, I flew back and I sang a bunch of songs with the band and Chris Bedding got up and played guitar. It was a pretty amazing night. I mean, what was most amazing about it is that Carlos and Alex's mom came to the show and sat on the side of the stage and she had never seen the Nils before. She never saw the Nils with Alex singing. It's kind of sad. Now, to honor Alex's name in his life in music, Carlos put the Nils back together. He started recording some songs. A lot of the songs had already been written. And they came up with an album called Shadows and Ghosts. And it's probably the, one of the best Nils albums sonically that you'll ever hear. Now, there's some people out there who think that this is a bad thing and it's not a cool thing for the Nils to do something. They think they're cashing in on a dead person's name. But honestly, if you just research how this band was put together and why it was put together, your outlook will be a lot different, okay? Carlos influenced his brother. His brother went on to write these great songs. Carlos is really just honoring his brother's name. And that's what it's all about, really. 
Scott McCullough explains. I am fine with it. Uh, I've always been good buddies with Carlos. He's never done me any harm. Um, you know, it, I know like people like Woody, the Magwheel guy. You know, the guy who runs. He, he thinks that anything without Alex that has the Nils name on it. Like I see him on Facebook going, you know, this is a travesty. Alex was always the Nils and everything else. But to me, I mean, I knew Alex was the songwriter and the singer. But they were brothers, and Alex was so shy he didn't talk, and Carlos was kind of his mouthpiece anyway. That I, you know, I don't have any problem with them keeping the name and, you know, doing it that way. But some people take issue with it and say it's Alex's band. I think because it was his band before Carlos joined, actually. It's a lot of you know they're Alex's songs, and I mean you know Carlos was always there. I mean they created the feel and the vibe and the sound of the band together. You know, I mean, I think the big wild card is whether Carlos could pull off the vocals, but, you know, for the most part, he did. Uh, you know, Mills are still one of my favorite bands of all time, Canadian or otherwise. Um, I think he's one of the most underrated songwriters ever from Canada. I mean, it definitely has a Mills feel, and it has a, it's got a good thing. I mean, I, I'm pretty proud of them for pulling this together, you know? So there you go. The story of the Nils. I have some thank yous, first and foremost. First and foremost, I'd really like to thank Melanie Kay for putting this together. I'd like to thank Ian Blurton for contributing, John Kastner for contributing, Scott McCullough for contributing. And like I said, it's an open book. It's not finished yet. We can bring more people into it. I reached out as far as I could to get as many people on board. And this is what I came up with, okay? So if you like this episode and you want to hear more of something, more of stuff like this, send in your suggestions and see if I can make something out of it. Okay? Thanks for listening. And that was the first part of the podcast. What do you think about that? My little audio documentary. I've never done one of those before. So I actually would really like to have your input on this, people. Okay? Please come back to me. Go to the website, go to applelog.ca, go to the podcast, click on the comments and just comment. Let me know what you think of it or go to facebook.com slash applelogpod, comment there. It's always good to get some healthy feedback. I probably got some facts wrong, probably got things wrong, probably said things wrong. I don't know. So I'd like y'all to please, it helps the podcast. Please add your comments, reviews, and iTunes, whatever you need to help me out that would be awesome thanks so much so here's the second half here's the actual man this is the guy from the nils this is carlos seria and this is my conversation i had with him in the middle of september so sadly the show has already gone and passed at least palace but we had that that's where we first met up actually i did a live recording and everything went bunk but i got one song out of it so if you go to youtube you'll be able to find one live song of the Nils. So here it is, my conversation with Carlos Seria from the Nils. It's very nice to meet you. We haven't met in person before, but what we were saying before, we have similar friends. Okay. 
Yes, we know a guy named John Kastner, cool. I believe, is a close personal friend of both of ours at some point. <laughs> Great. Yeah, childhood friend of mine, and uh, he's always been there for me, and he's always supported our band very much. I did the first ASEX tour with, uh, with him. Mm -hmm. uh, four days before they were supposed to leave, I guess their bass player, his mom would let him go. So they said, oh, I had a tour booked, and uh, we don't have a bass player. So I said all songs in four days, and we went on tour in America. So what? How long ago was that? In, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna say like '85, '84. Yeah. You know, pretty long time. Yeah. Asexuals were a uh, a very cool Montreal band, based in the '80s, and yep. uh, and what John Castor ended up going on doing the Doughboys, which also went on into its own yep. little world, and and uh, all systems go. All systems go. Yeah. I shared a label with All Systems Go for a little while, Bad Taste Records. I don't know if you're familiar with that label. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I was a band that was on his label as well, on uh, Bad Taste Records as well. What band was it? We were called Foursquare. Foursquare, okay. Yeah, a power pop band. Can I say it? Cool. Yeah. Like to hear it, maybe. Yeah, maybe one day we'll... Uh, well, well I, I'm going to come to the Lee's Palace show, because I'm... Yeah, it's going to be a great show. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of... Um, Hype, I, I saw, thanks to John, based saying, and it was a, a very small YouTube clip saying, the Nils are making music again. And I watched it, yeah. and it was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, because no one would have thought that this would be happening, you know, based on the history of the yeah. band. And we can talk a little bit about the history of the band, if, 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 you're, if, you, if you want to do that. Yeah, well, I think it took a few people by surprise that we continued and stuff, but this is uh, this is what I do. I mean, you know, I this is what I do best. So, uh, you know, I mean, it was sad with losing my brother and it was a real blow to all of us. But uh, in a sense, we wanted to keep his spirit alive. And this is the only way I could think of doing that, you know. So we keep playing. This is what we do. We love doing it, you know. And I think the album is... Uh, For the people at home who are kind of coming into this cold, um, your brother Alex took his life... And it was very—it was a hard blow because the Nils were working on material at the time, and what was supposed to happen was there was supposed yeah. to be a new record. And when all this happened, people got together. Like, was it Ian Blurton and Kastner and and you and you yeah. and you did a tribute to the Nils, and this I think kept that spirit alive, which is uh, and it comes from a close personal yeah. thing to me because I also lost my brother to the same, not the same approach but but the same idea we we have both we we have entered this sacred club <laughs> so yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry to hear that but yeah, yeah it's a hard thing to lose uh, you know like a brother lose like you said it that's hard enough but in our situation it was like he was the leader of our band he was the singer he was a big important part of it so you know, it was, uh, I mean, I lost my marbles there for a while, and uh, hence that's why it took a while to get things together. But, you know, mm -hmm. pretty happy with what has happened. And I think he would be pretty proud of us right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what this podcast is about, yeah. is about what it takes to keep doing music and, and, and to keep the inner youth in you going, you know, to keep it, to keep it fresh and to keep it exciting. And... That yeah. that sounds like what you're doing. I mean, like, so the idea that uh, there's a new album, it is out. Yeah. It's out. It's only like a second, third month it's out. So it's still a baby. It's still young. But yeah, it's out. And yeah, you're right. That was the idea. I mean, we did the memorial for Alex and uh, 
we had Ian come out. We had uh, a lot of other. John came out. Chris Bedding came out. It, it was great and stuff. And like I said, I mean, the weekend before Alex passed away, we were already planning to do things. And unfortunately, two days later, things went the way they did. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, but it was in our mind. The main thing was because of the profile crappy contract, we never got a chance to do the second album. So it was always in the back of my head, what would happen if we did do a second album back then and all that. So I wanted to do that. So mm -hmm. I did it. I did the best I could under the circumstances I could. And uh, I'm very amazed at the reaction right now. You know, I'm pretty, we're, we're doing okay. You know, we're getting played on the radio here. We're getting a lot of newspapers, get good reactions. So it's nice, you know, it's nice. And I, we've always had great fans. They stuck by us through thick and thin, and they're still sticking with us. So it's beautiful. That's <laughs> good to hear. It's good to hear. Yeah. So you have a tour coming up, correct? Yeah, well, we've been off and on touring. We're, we're doing uh, Ontario shows. We're playing Pop Montreal this week. And then in October, we're doing, uh, we're trying to hook up some gigs in Ontario. We already got two or three. So, yeah, we're just getting it out there. That our, our best situation for us would be to get on a tour as an opening band for, like, bands that have revered us. We've been talking to Bob Mould. Social D off, you know, all friends of ours, uh, Goo Dolls, anybody we can, we're, we're trying to help them. We played with Sebado. We're playing with cool bands, Meat Man, Agent Orange. So who knows? Well, they're going to end up on a cool tour. We just, it's all being worked out. Yeah, I think there's something amazing to be said about bands that follow other bands that are in the position to help each other out, that to, they, do, they do it. And that's what differentiates us the scene that's been created from the early 80s up until the present that will be able to allow bands to take other bands on tour. It's not, you know, it happens, it happened with the Doughboys when the Foo Fighters took the Doughboys on two shows. Yeah. Huge, huge that's thing. That's it. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's is it. And it's nice because in a sense, I mean, I met David Groh and he was in Scream. Yeah. And, uh, he was, uh, I met him, I was living in California at the time and, uh, he was telling me, yeah, I'm moving up to Seattle, join some band called NUR or something, you know? And I was telling him, wow, you're great. And he's all, no, no, you guys are great. You guys. And I was like, wow, this mm -hmm. day. And then I went back, saw him when they were here and stuff. And uh, who knows? We've been, we, our manager's been contacting them. So you never know. Mm -hmm. We're, keep our fingers crossed. And it's nice. That's, I mean, bands that are, have the power to do, should do, like you just said, mm -hmm. help, you know, turn the helping hand and that's what i would do so i'm hoping someone's going to do it for us and we deserve it gosh darn it. oh yes now do you think for a second <laughs> like a like a band like like uh guns and roses would take some other band out on them they can't even get themselves together you know think you know think about that for a second yeah you know. yeah i know yeah i know i know and and you know what this business is sad to say but a lot of it has to do about politics and this and that it's like there's very many talent people out there that don't get the breaks they should and this sad but I mean, there's still the gangs, like you said, the guys like you and me and John Kastner, we still fight the good fight. And maybe we haven't made the million bucks we deserve or whatever, but we do it for the right reasons. We do this music thing because we love it. Because when I started playing music, I didn't do it because I was going to make money. Mm -hmm. I did this because I love music. Yeah. And to this day, I still do the same thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than I was before, but 
I still go up there and I rock with the best of them. And, you know, I'm very proud of my album and I'm proud of what I've done. A lot of people like, I don't know, sometimes I, I sort of don't get it. Like we lost a very important figure in our thing and we've rebuilt it and made a good record and live we're better than we've ever been. I hate to say it, but you know, it's, I miss my brother more than anybody. I'm not taking anything away from the kid, but he'd be pretty proud of us of what we did. And, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding in the album. I think the album's great, you know. Do you want to talk a little bit about the recording? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So you started recording it what, about a year ago? It was November, yeah. November last year and uh or two year a year or year yeah. Anyways, it was in November and uh we were supposed to go for a month, but as soon as we started it was like doing so good. We ended up doing three months. The great thing about our first album was recorded in New York, New York style, New York studios, New York company, blah, blah, blah. We all know what happened with that. <laughs> and all our other recordings were done in Chicago, L.A., you know, Boston, whatever. And uh, I really wanted this album to be from home, Montreal, hence the cover, you know, St. Lawrence and St. Catherine, the 55 bus and uh, everything about it to be about Montreal. And I think we succeeded really well. It was a hard time. I mean, uh, three of us lost our dads. One of us lost our moms. I lost a girlfriend. Uh, it was hard times, but it was the best of times. And uh, mm -hmm. I think we did a good job. We had a great producer, Peter Edwards, who plays guitar in Grimskunk. And he really emphasis on guitar on this album. And we had a great mixer, Phil Burnett, who's like got Grammy Grammy Awards for Steely Dan. And this good man did it for nothing. He didn't have a budget to pay a guy like that. Mm -hmm. And he, his studio's in Woodstock, New York. So you can imagine how much that cost. But yeah, because he had engineered our first album and is a true fan of my band and believed in me and my brother, he helped me out. You know, which is nice. Like you just what you said about guys like us sticking together, the small guys, John, you and me. Mm -hmm. If we don't stick together, who's going to help us? Nobody is, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but there is also a legacy, a legacy involved with all of this, too, that um, the Nils carry a, yeah. a, a, a weight of Canadian power pop up there yeah. with so many other bands that there's so many bands that hold you guys. In, yeah. Hold you in regard of major influences. Bob Mould. Like who would have think who would have thought the guy yeah. from Husker Du and Sugar would be like, oh, I, you know, I love your band. It's got to be flattering. I know. Hey, dude, uh, in 1987, we went to do a Brave New Wave session and we get there. And as soon as I walk in, some guy's walking up to me with a plate of chocolate chip cookies. And there's a letter on it. And it was sent from Bob Mould's mom. She had baked the cookies and sent me this card because she lived in Malone, New York, which is upstate, for close to the border. So she heard the Brave New Waves uh, radio broadcast and she loved the nails. She loved the asexuals. And that's I still have the card. It's like, oh, man. But, uh, yeah, no, great. And now we, we've got friends in high places like, you know, Keith Morris is a big old time friend of mine. You know, the guys at Goo Goo Dolls are friends of mine. Social D, Johnny Wickersham plays guitar in Social D. He's a friend of mine when he was in the Cadillac Tramp. So, you know, it goes around, comes around. And, and people know, like you said, we have a good story, a good story. We have a heavy story. They're sad about it. There's good about it. But I think like, you know, people know us as guys that have been trying. And we do this because we love this. We don't do this because we're making a million bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. We do this for the real reasons, like you do, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
you never know people that are in good places they will come around and help you and and the other thing is now like we've done a good record we've banned and you know things are good you know considering mm -hmm. all the bad that happened you know yeah it's a good place to be in right now it takes a lot of courage to turn bad situations into good situations that's for sure and uh well, you know you guys uh, have definitely well, done you that. said it yeah 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 well thanks i mean i help i appreciate you saying that because i think you know i mean most people have, are, are 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 taking this positively but there's always one or two idiots that are like man eh, you know how could you or do this and that it's like hey man we're not here to take anything away from anybody i'm just trying to stay alive you know and trying to get some love to 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 do what i do and that's it you know sure yeah absolutely are you you're familiar with snfu yeah well i just uh, i saw chai was playing in montreal uh last week we yeah. went and saw him here's my dog she's doing me on face she's going my face cammy yeah he's a good guy and he's another he's another uh proof of a guy endeavor uh, to persevere or whatever you know it's mm -hmm. like dude Here's this guy that's gone through hell, and he's still up there rocking with the best of them, you know. Yeah. And he does a good job. So, and now, now it's different because there's kids that didn't live through this. So to them, it's like, wow, you know, it's history. It's like this thing. You and I, a bit older, we were there and stuff. To them, it's it's golden, you know. And yeah, dude, that's beautiful right there. Yeah. Yeah. I was... have little kids come up to me, sign my records yeah. Yeah. in the subway, you know, like. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of nice yeah. when you're going to work and you're in a crappy mood and some guy wants you to autograph his record, you know? <laughs> I think yeah. it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was uh, I was actually hanging out with uh, Brent Belke today. He's in town. He was in Toronto. Wow. Toronto really? Music. Yeah. Okay. We were talking about, you know, Chai and Perseverance, and you could tell that Brent just gave his blessings. He's like, listen, it's not my band. and You know, it's not my band, and here you go. And, and Chai needs to do something. If he doesn't do something, then he's not going to be alive anymore. So, Hey, well, you know what? That's exactly how I feel. Like, even th through all the hard times that we went through with music, if I didn't have music, I'd be dead. Mm -hmm. I'd, you know, I'm sorry to say, mm -hmm. I'd be dead. I'd, because in my worst moments that I've ever been in, I'll hear a song on the radio and you get that feeling and you get that chicken skin and bang you're back in there you're just automatically you know okay the world ain't so bad you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i know that might be sort of silly and romantic way of looking at things but that's the way i do look at things mm -hmm. and music is i love music i love hearing a good song i love what it does to you and to learn it and now that we become better musicians better players it's it's fun you know yeah yeah it's what... sad i was here but yeah happen this is these are the cards i have this is what i have to deal with you know yeah yeah so what's your approach on modern music and modern sort of s approaches to music do you think is a good song is a good song in my opinion but do you think do you think that if you listen to something you can find the goodness in it or do, are you do, do you have a sort of a, a sense of frustration when you hear new music well uh i mean there's always something good like you know uh let's take an example mumford and sons you know like a year ago they did that acoustic record and it was like i don't know it was kind of all right but it was kind of cheesy and then this new album it's like they're trying to sound like the nils or something <laughs> you know it's more rocked out so you know i could appreciate that in there and stuff 
But now it's not about being a band anymore. It's all these rap guys going on about whatever they're going on about. And also these like either a young girl that looks good and sing. It's not about being a band thinking for yourself, writing songs like we do about our lives and living life or the hard life, whatever. But every music is a circular thing. Every now and then a rock band comes up and shit rattles the cages. Uh, the Who, the Pistols, Guns N' Roses, Black Crows. Every now and then it comes. So I think we're due for that now. We need to put a little back, a little humanity back into the thing because it's become too uh, cookie cutter. Uh, you know, like it's not about music or a band. I mean, as you go see shows, most of these guys aren't. There's no band up there. Some guy singing the backing tracks or some girl dancing around and stuff. So mm-hmm. for me personally, that's what I, I want to see guys up there playing a drum and a guitar, playing a bass. It, it, that's what I like. Yeah, there's a constant circle of trends that sort of eventually comes around to something that you can listen to, and then it goes away, and then it's, you know, I always find myself, like, in the uh, sort of, like, I always go back to early El- or early Elvis Costello, and then that's in Squeeze yeah. and Split Ends, and then that sort of, yeah, that's, that's my bound, oh, that's my bed, right? You know, that's where I can, I can yeah, just, yeah. you know, really dig into music, and anything that kind of resembles that, I can subscribe yeah. to you know so I th- well that's that's what i grew up on you know that the same bands like you said that first british punk wave you know seeing i saw elvis costello squeeze you know uh whatever the clash you know uh the rocks you know stiff little fingers that's like what what got us into this and you know i still listen to those records and to me it's it's important you know we take our rock and roll very seriously us you know <laughs> my man my manager comes to our rehearsals and says man you guys are fanatical about it like don't worry about it so much but we always try and work it really good and be good to deliver you know yeah we're doing good we're in a good place it is my band it is my man and you're doing a good thing. Hats off to you, brother. Well, thank you. I, I really think that we all need to have conversations in music now. I mean, we're, we're everybody, everything's so fast and everything's so, like you say, cookie cutter. Yeah. And you have three minutes to tell me how awesome you are. And then moving on. I've always been a fan of music and I've always been a person in music. I don't appreciate the interviews where someone just says, okay, what else you got? You got anything else? You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, just... no, I'd rather get into the meat and potatoes of things, you know, and and that's obviously what you do. So stick with that, you know? Like Thanks, they say, man. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> that's very cool. That's <laughs> very cool. You've been in Montreal for how long now? When when did you move back from? Uh, I uh, been here. I came here in 1964. I was two years old, and I lived here most all my life, except when the Nils broke up in 1989. I went to play in uh, California with a band called Naked Soul, a friend of mine in MIA, and I stayed out there about six to eight years, and then I I missed my home and I came back, and <laughs> I've been here ever since. Yeah. So basically, I just moved away for six to eight years there in the early 90s and stuff when things got bad with us and uh but uh, i'm a montreal guy born and bred i speak uh, three languages and uh i'm a montreal kid for sure people mm-hmm. know that you know or we're the one thing like our our history and our legacy is montreal based which is nice because montreal is a good place i mean i like toronto and i'll tell you one thing toronto's been super great to us every time we played there 
I have nothing. We've done almost better there than we've done here financially or reaction-wise sometimes. But, you know, Montreal is... Uh, Toronto seems like a hard place to have to live in. I guess to be a poor musician, Montreal is almost better, I guess. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, Montreal is always used to be cheaper rent. And I remember friends of mine That's living it. there. And That's going, it. Why is it $600 for a four-bedroom apartment in Montreal? <laughs> What's going on here? I bet it's yeah. not like that anymore, though, right? Um, they've gone up a bit, but not that bad. Not bad compared to what you guys are paying. No, I mean, it's still a relative cheap. But, yeah, times have gotten tougher and rents have gone up. But nowhere, not like, you know, mm -hmm. I have friends in Toronto, too, and they tell me it's ridiculous for a little room. You're paying a 1000 bucks. where here you'll be paying, if you had to, half of that or not even, you know. Mm -hmm. But, no, to be... To be in our position and stuff, it's, but mind you, times have gotten tougher, you know, it's not the 70s anymore when we were growing up doing this where you could find rehearsal halls for 150 a month. Now that's unheard of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Rent by the hour, you know? Yeah. And living in LA must have been a bit of a culture shock from a, a going from Montreal. Oh, well, at the time, like, I'll be honest with you, like, Everything, had, that was in 1989, 90 when I left and everything had fallen apart and I got an offer to do this. So I went and did it. And uh, the first year was great. But after that, it was like, no, 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 man. Uh, you know, when there's an earthquake and everything's moving, you don't feel very safe. And it's easier to get a gun than a beer. Every time you go to a store, you have to show your ID. And it's like, well, dude, I'm, I'm way over 18, you know, and it's like, no, 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 man, I need your so it's like anything it's just too many people and it's and when you've grown up like we have in montreal toronto to go there at when you're in your 30s or something it's different maybe if you would have went when you were a kid and you didn't know it'd be different but at this point it wasn't but mm -hmm. i had this thing where i wanted to go to california and which is funny because at the time most of our records the first album had been sold in california so what do they do they send us on tour in the east coast and in the midwest you know which made no sense once again big corporations running music you know mm -hmm. was this profile records uh, that was fucking you over yeah, yeah. profile record yeah. yeah well wait look what happened we put out an album within a month's release we're charted in the rolling stones like people are freaking out and you know mm-hmm look what happened and we never got a chance to make a second album you know we were like they they ruined our careers they signed us up for like nine years and then uh after the first album which is it was all a tax write-off for run dmc right mm. and then uh they didn't know what to do with us and other company big companies want to sign us up except they wouldn't give us our release they held on to it for four years till our careers were destroyed and that's what happened yeah. i was 20 something years old and I, one minute I was going to be the next thing, you know, and the next minute I'm like, you've just ruined my life. Yeah. So, of course, you know, being 20 years old, you don't react very well, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, anything that ever happened, like, you know, gossipy, bad reputation things, it was just like, you know, you're a 20-year-old kid and they ruin your freaking life. Well, of course, some guys don't react well, you know? Mm -hmm. The idea, because I know of other bands that have been mired in politics with labels and the same idea you know like that they have to go out and they have to go play shows they have to to make a living while their great album sits on a shelf somewhere and that must be yeah. wildly frustrating because you're kind of playing the big label game 
and you're getting duped. Yeah. And I, it's sad when your album, like to this day, that white album, you know, I mean, you're in this business, you know, it's, it's revered as one of the greatest fucking punk albums of the not North America, Canada for sure. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, we put our heart and soul in that record. My brother fucking, you know, it's my brother's baby and shit. And, and of course, within a month's release, and it was funny you should mention this because the way it happened was the record comes out a month later, I get a phone call one morning, is Kastner going, dude, you better go. We used to live two streets away from each other. He goes, you better go to the, the Depaneur. You know what a Depaneur is? Yeah. It's uh, the corner store. You, you don't have... And uh, he goes, go to the Depaneur. You guys are in the Rolling Stone. I'm like, fuck off, Kastner. You hang up the phone. Comes back two seconds later. He's like, no, man, no joke. Go see it. You're in the fucking Rolling Stone. Run down to the store, and there it is, man. Fucking album number eight, top 10 college US charts, which in that time meant a big thing. You remember mm -hmm. college radio, right? Yeah, definitely. So, and and it was like, dude, you're, you're like, all of a sudden, you're like, you know, wow. And then fucking a year later, man, you're like cut off at the knees, you mm -hmm. know. And it, we're not the first band that signed a bum deal and didn't react badly, but, you know. But anyways, I think we've we've come back. It took a while to make a good record, but we have. And Alex is all over it. And the music has gotten better better played we're better live we're doing it and you know i wish alex was here than anybody trust me you know mm -hmm. but i gotta deal with what i got you know what i mean and yeah. when alex died i i prayed every day that you know take me and bring him back but it didn't work so mm -hmm. i gotta do what i gotta do bro you know what i mean yeah definitely but the fans have stuck by us the fans have stuck by us and most people are into it and they love it. A lot of we've been getting a lot of killer reviews, a lot of airplay in Montreal and in other places. So we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Well, that's good to hear, man. I uh, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on and talking. I really uh, I wish you My all pleasure. the luck. I wish I wish I'm gonna come and see you in Toronto, and uh, we're gonna get this podcast. You out. better. Yeah, I am. You better. <laughs> Lee's Palace is one of the best. Well, one of my favorite places to play in, in Toronto. I, I think it's you want to know the last show we ever did with Alex was at Lee's Palace, mm. opening up for uh, Royal City and uh, who else was it? And it was right the same year he died. It was at Lee's Palace. What was year? That for trivia? What year? What year was that? Oof! I want to say two thousand and two. 2002, 2003, somewhere on there. I'm sure if you looked in the interweb, it's somewhere on there. Yeah, the the stage has changed. But, it's a lot higher now. The stage is like, yeah. it's up to it's your... a great place, though. We yeah. played there many times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we played there many times. You always got a great reaction. Dude, I played every club in Toronto. Silver Dollar, the Rivoli, Lee's Palace, uh, the Phoenix. Uh, what was that one? The, the Opera House or oh, yeah. whatever. Dude, I've done them all. I love Toronto. Lyle Tones, Teenage Head, the Demics. That's Toronto's great, man. The Diodes. It's like you guys are stoked. You almost have a a better music scene. Like the Replacements played there on their first tour, and here they only came at the very last tour. So Montreal is always used to have a, a, a rep as like a disco city. We're a bit behind things, but 
T.O.'s more Americanized, where you open up the now, and it's like all these bands in Montreal, we don't even have a now, you know? Yeah. They, 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 close, they close the mirror in the hour, you know? Even the voir, the French. I remember in the 90s when there was, there was a pretty big metal scene in Montreal. I remember that. I remember a lot of like, I remember when Metallica broke anywhere they broke in Montreal before they broke in, uh, before they broke in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> so no, my managers give me, oh, no. it's my friend, Peter. Yeah. I, yeah. Montreal is always, there's Peter. Is Peter the, Ward. The microphone's working, right? Yeah, I believe it is. I love Peter. Peter, did you see it? What it looks like, bro? <laughs> It's it? it's the oh of the blue oh the USB mic I see it blue ball yeah it's got a stand it's so cool everybody loves blue balls <laughs> I don't <laughs> let's not go there <laughs> <laughs> I can hear him last though for some reason yeah I yeah, yeah no I did I did yeah, that that will make that'll make it there hey I gotta get your email address though and I'll email you the record and all the links from the press and yeah definitely. Well, hey, Carlos, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. All the Thank best you. luck, and uh, you know, and we will definitely connect and hook up and high-five and maybe share a drink. And uh... Yeah, please come and see me. I, you got everything you need here and stuff? Yeah, I think I do, man. Interview? Yeah, man. I mean, are you okay with okay. it? Do you, do you, wanna, <laughs> you got anything else I, to I, add? <laughs> I, no, it's, it's what you need, my friend. It's what you need. Yeah. I can really do you know anything you need. No, I'm good, man. But we're I, here for you. Thank you so much. And just um, play the play the record as much as you can, and hopefully you like it. And to come see us play for sure. Come hang out, man. I love that. We're gonna have a good time. It's Jesse Mallon. We're probably gonna be uh, sold out. I'm thinking. I definitely am. I'm gonna put a song on the uh, on the on the on the at the end of the podcast too, so they can they can hear what's happening right. with the Nils, man. And uh, thanks so much for Please. coming on the show. And we will uh, talk to you real soon. Thank you, brother. Okay, you're a good man. That was Carlos from the band The Nils. Was that fun? Yes, it was fun. What a good soul. What a good dude. Thanks so much for doing that. Want you all to please go to fetchclass.com and teach me taught. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Like the podcast on Facebook. Facebook.com slash ApologPod. Don't forget the Patreon campaign patreon.com slash apologue pledge help the show out good karma dude Amazon oh my god somebody in America bought a $400 lens for their camera I want to know who that is because that was awesome thanks so much for doing that whoever did that uh, if you're on Facebook let me know who did that because I want to give you props thanks so much for purchasing that that was good that was a good little chunk of change in the old Amazon affiliate program bank that was a lot of work everybody so please let me know what you think about the uh, little Audie documentary we did there I really really want to get your input thanks so much for listening thanks for tuning in every week thanks for all your support I'll see you next week I'll be here Bye.